This special edition of the In the Money Players podcast is brought to you in part by our friends from BetMakers. Fixed Odds Betting, powered by BetMakers, is back and in effect in New Jersey. Fantastic early returns. 70% of winners paying more on fixed odds than they are on the tote. Fixed odds wagering now available through the state through MonmouthBets.com. This is an exciting new way to bet that puts the power to get value in your hands because the odds you bet are the odds you get you're going to be hearing a lot more about fixed odds across the In The Money Media Network. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornatel. We're going to do some of that talking about fixed odds straight away on this show. I'm back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker once again. We had so much content, we ended up dividing stuff over two shows this week. If you're looking for um, deeper dives on what do we have on the other show? We've got some good Woodbine stuff. We've got a Naira pick six on there. And we've also got some coverage of the grade ones down at Parks. That's up on the YouTube channel and in the feed on this show. We're going to be talking about Meadowlands at, uh, at excuse me, Monmouth at Meadowlands. I keep getting these names mixed up. But we've got Belmont at Aqueduct and we've got Monmouth at Meadowlands. We're going to kick off with that a little bit later in the show. We're going to have Scott Shapiro come by and talk a little bit about this quartet of stakes at Churchill Downs. But we kick things off with the man who we usually bring on to talk about all things fixed odds from this recently concluded Monmouth Park meet. And we'll get some of his thoughts on other stuff going on. I'm speaking, of course, about Nick Tamaro. Nick, what's going on? I'm doing great, Pete. Ready for a big weekend of racing, including a little turf action at night at the Meadowlands. It brings me back to the the days in the fall of getting ready for the Big M meet at night with the dirt racing and the turf racing both. And boy, I hope at some point in the future we might be able to get that again. That would be fun. I remember I've been there a few times, but my most um, enduring memory must have been back in. We could look this up. I'm going to say it was '97. When I did a, a fall night doubleheader back from Saratoga, absolutely missing racing. I wasn't in Saratoga the whole time back then, but you know, I probably did two or three weekends. And we did one of the big, and they were even bigger then, Belmont fall Saturday days, and then rolled over to see the old version of the Pegasus. And it was like a real showdown. I, Touch Gold, I believe, was the winner. And I think Freehouse was in there. And it was the, the, there were some other very interesting runners as well. Maybe maybe Annette, that old Baffert runner. Anyway, I don't even remember everybody who was in it. But it was a fun, a fun degenerate doubleheader. And been to the Meadowlands a few times since. I'd love to get out there. This meet, the meet has evolved. It's a little bit different now. Why don't we start there? Explain to folks how long this meet is and exactly what it's all about. Yeah, nine days of racing in total. It's going to be Fridays and Saturdays from uh, the 23rd of September through the 23rd of October, with the only exception being Saturday, October 15th. That will be a dark day, and uh, that's because they're running at Far Hills that day. Those are going to be the trotters. So otherwise, you'll have six uh, turf races a night. They'll run at 7 p.m. Eastern. Obviously, one of the things you're going to have to keep an eye on is the weather, because if there's no... Uh, option for uh, off the turf races, then those cards get canceled if they uh, are having significant weather. So, I mean, my hope is that we don't have to deal with it at all, but in all likelihood, we'll have one of these uh, get let loose as the, the fall wears on a tad. But it looks like weather should be pretty decent for these first couple of cards, till still relatively warm as well, excuse me, which uh, be a good thing. So, yeah, get started Friday night. And of course, you'll see a lot of the Monmouth regulars at uh, Meadowlands, but I think you'll also see a few more New York regulars creep in and, and a couple of jockeys will be enterprising enough to ride the uh, the day card at, uh, at Aqueduct and then the evening time at Meadowlands. The commute's a little bit shorter, so that helps. 
no doubt about it. We're going to go over the six-race card, and we're going to look at it from a fixed-odds perspective. We're still – it's a bit of hitting a moving target. Everything's changing so fast in New Jersey. We know you can bet on the website, uh, monmouthbets.com, and we know that you can bet at Monmouth Park – and we're hoping there's going to be fixed odds windows up at Meadowlands. I'm going to get all the info. We're going to put that in a show early next week. The early week show will definitely cover what's going on specifically in terms of opportunities available. So, you know, keep your ears tuned for that. And also the, the Far Hills meet. I don't think a decision has been officially made as to whether or not that is going to have fixed odds options. But boy, that would be fantastic if it did. I think I'm away in any case, but that's the kind of thing I would make a special appointment to go and check out for sure if there was an opportunity to bet fixed odds there. But Saturday's card that we're going to be talking about kicks off at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And we kick things off with the Dime Maiden Claimer going on the turf, flat five furlongs for fillies and mares, three-year-olds and up. Nick, what does the fixed odds market look like in here, and what do you like? Yeah, going to be a pretty heavy favorite in the nine, Gleaming Brutality, who the uh, fixed odds market has at about $2.60. Hector Diaz Jr. for Steve Claceres off a good runner-up effort at Colonial. This one made the pace that day, figures to be forwardly placed again. More of a matter of what she's facing than how good she is. She's sort of a $10,000 maiden claimer. So, I mean, she spotted realistically getting a little class relief off the 16, maybe a touch of concern about there being some other speed in here, including the 11 Mike's majesty. Who's a couple of doors to the outside designed to dazzle is also going to be forwardly placed, but looks as if gleaming brutality, which should probably be pretty tough to handle a little Jesse for Kent Sweezy second choice, about $5 50. We're going to have a couple of runners at very long shot odds, which is why we're able to put a few, a little lower than that. Gigi's dark star for Jorge Delgado. Now in his care, Chantal Sutherland uh, into ride. That one is going to be marked at about $7, same for Design to Dazzle. So all signs will be for uh, Gleaming Brutality to be pretty tough to beat here. In terms of constructing a ticket, and there is a pick six connecting these six races with a 20-cent minimum, what numbers would be on your tickets? Nine. Just nine? Yeah, I think he'll be. she'll be pretty tough to handle. If she runs back to her last couple, These she'll, she's got way too much for these. All right, let's move on to the second race of the sequence. $30,000 claimers, Phillies and Mares once again, three and up, going a mile on the turf and a field of 10 scheduled to go postward. Uh, looks like um, maybe a big favorite here as well in the number six Anador, at least looking at morning lines. Yeah, $2.80 on Anador in the fixed odds market, dropping in for a tag for the first time in North America. For Christoph Clement, obviously things have not gone ideally after she broke her maiden somewhat impressively. At Belmont last fall, came back in the Teppan and finished fifth at three to one. Three straight losses since has prompted Kristoff to put her in for a tag. She should be pretty tough on the class drop. I'm intrigued by Princess Blakely, who uh, Chad Brown has obviously used Meadowlands with a lot of success in the past. Grade one winner, uh, eventual grade one winner, Bleecker Street made her, I believe, first two starts at Meadowlands last year. Um, perhaps just one, but... Uh, so he, he'll certainly use this meet with horses that are of a little bit lesser caliber. I think Princess Blakely's last race is actually a lot better than it looks on paper. And I say that because that pace was pretty strenuous and she stayed on the entire way. So I'm looking for her to run well in what should be a, a little bit softer spot. I'd use her as an A in a multi-race play, including the pick five, which starts here. I'd probably back up with Anador. You know, a little concerned about Christophe Clement's barn in the last month or so. It's really since the since the first couple of days of September, uh, his barn's been on the struggle just a tad. His, his wins have generally come at Delaware and Colonial Downs. He's been struggling in New York quite a bit. Anador does look tough based on the class drop. I do think they haven't really identified what uh, 
what the best distance is for that daughter of Anadan, who I will forever be a fan of. The one My Beauty Princess for Jose D'Angelo comes back off a layoff. A little pace compromised last time out. I thought she could run better. Looks like the inside speed as well. She's one that I would use as a backup. $7 for her in the fixed odds market. All signs point to Anador and Princess Blakely really getting the bulk of the attention. So 10 is an A, 6 and 1 is Bs. Is that what I'm hearing? Yep. And you refer to uh, Anadan, I'm assuming, is that a, a Breeders' Cup uh, mile score from a few years back? That is indeed. He was uh, he was second to uh, Caraconti in the 2014 yes, right. Breeders' Cup mile. Exactly. That's right. He was my pick, of course, and I wasn't smart enough to come up with Caraconti. But, yeah, and he's uh, – isn't he Goldakova's brother? He has some Goldakova's brother, exactly yeah. right. Yep. Pretty cool stuff there. All right, let's uh, continue on with the proceedings to race number three. $7,500 claimers, three and up. Once again here, flat five on the turf. I notice on Timeform US, uh, Chief Raider looks potentially loose, always dangerous in these races. What kind of price is that one looking on fixed odds? And what, what give us an overview of the market. Yeah, kind of a mixed bag here. We're going to get $4 on Champion by Design, who's going to be a slight favorite for Jamie Ness, mainly because of the quality of that barn and, and the recent success. This one comes in off a second-place finish against comparable foes at Penn National, though a little bit higher class level. I think this field has a bit more depth than the one that he met that uh, that particular night. Drum and drummer on the outside for Gilberto Zerpa. Two moves last time out, one second against $10,000 claimers at Colonial, $4.60 uh, there. And we'll also do about $5 on Chief Raider, who, as you said, looks like the main speed on paper, third off the layoff after getting involved in really hot paces the last two times. The five furlongs, obviously, had just a quick trip. And if you can be forwardly placed, it makes a huge difference. From a betting perspective, I'm really intrigued by the four frozen funds in this race. And I will admit that I picked frozen funds on the turf on July 28th at Saratoga. And it really had to do with the two turf races that this gelding ran when he was with Kelsey Danner. He broke his maiden coming from off the pace after getting completely obliterated at the break and then came back and ran against just significantly better horses um, in the synthetic race and really didn't run badly. Got into trouble that day as well. Totally pace compromised in December of 2020. It's obvious that this horse has a few bumps and bruises. He's not been able to run too frequently, but this is a scenario where I think he can lay back and make one run. He's facing significantly weaker turf horses than he ever has before. He's kind of my bomb at, at what should be 10 plus to one. We've made him $9 in the uh, fixed odds market, but uh, he is one that I will use. I'm going to loan A him. I'm going to use the three main horses as backups, the three, eight, and 10. All right. Four on the, the A line, three, eight, and 10 on the back line for Nick there, and a compelling case on a horse that should be a square price. We've got three-year-old allowance runners going a mile on the turf in race number four with 824 as the scheduled post time in here. On the morning line, we've got a, a horse uh, quite familiar to New York area betters. Number one, 0235 is the posted morning line favorite. Is this also the fixed odds favorite? Oh, yeah, big favorite here, 02035, who gets Lasix again, dropping in class out of the better talk now after finishing a good second to wit last time out. Um, he'll probably get down to about $2.20 in the fixed odds market. That generally has to do with the fact that there really aren't a ton of other runners that are at his level speed figure-wise. Artie's Angel, probably about $5. Mercy, Merci, I should say, about $5.50. Second off the claim by Jose Camejo, having run against a, a pretty solid field last time out. This is going to be a relatively slow-paced race. I thought that maybe moved up airspeed velocity a tad. But the good thing about 02035 
is that he's pretty versatile and he can stay close. Eric Conselle is going to come in for the ride. Look, there's one concern about this horse. He's one for 14 and he seems to settle for a, a minor share of it when he can. So that's the worry. But otherwise, on paper, he is an absolute standout. In terms of your wagering, I'm hearing him as an A and maybe a little backup with the seven. Anything else? Yeah, I'll back up with airspeed velocity. I'll, I'll find a way to include the five Artie's Angel as well as a backup. But again, most of the uh, the betting will go through the one. Race number five, we've got nickel claimers going five furlongs on the turf. How do you see this one and how's it shaping up in the market? Looks like a really good spot for the nine Grand Malbec coming in off a narrow miss against 12-5 claimers. Marcial Navarro now putting him in for five. This is a horse that he claimed for 10 back in February. He's basically gotten his money back plus a maybe maybe plus a touch when you factor in all the training. But uh, I thought he comes in off a good, good enough race. He's more of a late running type that is always going to be at the mercy of the pace in a turf sprint. Good luck finding out exactly who's going to get the lead. I thought the eight fair catch um, was also interesting, maybe coming from just off of it. I know he's not been that close to the pace the last couple of times, but you wonder how much that may have had to do with running against better horses. When he ran his good turf races, they did come with forwardly placed trips. The concern, of course, is you're taking a horse that was just 27 to one in a $100,000 stake race last time, and now he's in for a nickel. I did think the six Minnesota Lucky was a little interesting. He chased the pace in the race with Grand Malbec last time out before tiring. I'm going to use all three of those. I'm going to back up with Beach Warrior and Clever Fellow. I think this is a pretty tough leg of it, and I'm just going to try and stay alive. Makes sense. Survive and advance with the nine, eight, and six on the A line and the one and seven on the B line for Nick in race five. We get things paid off. With these two-year-old fillies made in special weights going a mile on the turf and a field of 11 listed. Nice field sizes here at this Monmouth at the Meadowlands meet. Also very manageable. I swear, if I if I didn't have other plans, I, w- I would, uh, if I wasn't traveling this weekend, I like the idea of going out and catching an entire race card in uh, two hours and 20 minutes. We ask you, Nick, the key question. How are we going to get paid? Yeah, you're you're always traveling, Pete. You're the you're the moving target in this whole equation. Um, <laughs> Chad Brown, couple of runners in the nightcap, both of whom look like they'll get a lot of support. Both first time starters. They nearly bookend the field. The one Skyview Drive is by Justify, who's got uh, nine debut winners in now. I believe what is his second crop or no? This is his first crop. Yeah, first crop. Yep. Um, LaCloche, the dam here was a multiple stake winner. She dropped three times stake winner Bellevay. Uh, this is a family that uh, the majority of the horses in it were trained by Jimmy Toner. This yep. horse was sold for 350000 at Keeneland September. Draws favorably on the inside. Trevor McCarthy will come over to ride. The 10 is monetized, who's by Lope de Vega. Unraced Dam has dropped a couple of runners, but we've seen these Klarovich horses that were purchased overseas do extremely well. Um, you have to think that maybe this, these two are of a slightly lesser caliber. That's why they're running for 40 instead of, of nearly 100 over at uh, at. at Royal Aqueduct, but uh, I do think that each of them deserves some attention. The nine Ella Francis is by Cairo Prince, 11% debut sire. There's a little turf on the dam side, a bottom side. The Of the experienced horses, I thought the 11 Poets Woods was probably the most interesting. Second-time starter, who's a half to Bobby's Kitten, should benefit from having that race under her belt. She didn't take a ton of money on debut, did do a little early running before fading i thought i could make more of a case for her than any of the other experienced runners maybe save the five selenaya who was seven to one part of an entry on debut for johnny thomas dropping in class now getting first lasix as well never a bad thing give me how you're going to grade these out in terms of your picks i'm going to use the one and ten as a's and i will use the uh the four five and eleven as backups 
some serious pedigrees in this race as you go through it there. I remember LaCloche well. I think wasn't her sister Winter Memories. Does that sound right? I think that's exactly right. Yeah, it's definitely from that uh, that Phillips family and toner had them all and they were just it was just nothing but runners basically i was so. i was at saratoga the day that winter memories broke her maiden on debut and oh. i was at her diana which uh, i believe came two years later i think her diana was on the same day that alpha won the jim dandy kind of that a, sounds a drizzly, exactly right yeah drizzly sleepy saturday back in 2012 the, it's funny you mentioned i don't know if you even we didn't know each other back then but that was the day I did. Do you know what the betathon is? Do you remember that this insanity that I got myself involved in? Did, did you try and bet every every race yeah. and do the trotters too? Yes, I bet every race that was available on Twin Spire in a twenty four hour period. <laughs> That's great. My biggest bet of the day, my biggest and you know biggest bet of what was you know all, all being relative was actually on Winter Memories in that spot. And honestly, I think I could live to be a hundred. I will never have a greater handicapping horse playing achievement than playing whatever it was three hundred twenty four races because it was international too, um, and showing a flat bet pop, excuse me flat bet profit on that day. Anyway, just that is incredible. You know, right after right after they started full card wide scale full card simulcasting at Sam Houston, one of the guys who was like a entertainment sort of a catch all reporter did the same thing. Oh, he went to Sam Houston. He bet every single track. And I mean, if, when you're talking about 2012, I mean, and if you're including international, that's really significant. But <laughs> I mean, in, in 90, I think this was 96. Um, I mean, it, during go look at we did this actually nerds that we are, but we did this sitting at Saratoga the day before the Travers this year and just compared how many tracks ran on Travers Day 15 years ago to now. Well, think about how many tracks ran in, you know, in 96. And I remember this guy saying that he had to hang around because he was betting Detroit. And this was before any Asian tracks were involved um, in Sam Houston because they regularly simulcast Japan also still. But uh, yeah, it's it's incredible. It's it's uh, it's certainly an endeavor to be taken on by uh, the real courageous, strong types that are that are truly worthy of that medal. That's pretty great. Maybe someday we ha- it has to be the right thing because it's a lot to get into, but it would be fun to do a betathon again. And yeah, we were raising money the whole time. It was before I even knew what the TRF was. It was another charity that we got involved and boy, did we have a blast with it. We tried the other funny thing about that. And we, we actually got denied. We applied to the Guinness book of world records and they had some very soft reason to not allow us to submit that as a feat. That, that was going to be another one that was going to be, you know, best-selling author eclipse award winner, Guinness World Record holder. You could put that in my top three lines of my my right there. <laughs> that would have certainly won out over everything else. No question. <laughs> While I have you, it would be a host fail if I didn't ask you, does anything leap off the page for you, either at Royal Aqueduct or these big grade ones or really anything else in, in Philly? I'm sure I'm catching a little early to have done the deepest dive and folks can read certainly your New York analysis over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. But just curious if you had anything you wanted to, to get out there in the world. Yeah, I mean, intrigued to see how the uh, how the Pennsylvania Derby goes and and who ends up uh, kind of standing out in there. Obviously, you know, we were both at the Haskell, and I think it, it would be impossible to not be pretty taken by the race that Tabor ran that day. And so, I'm I'm very excited to see him come back and where he stacks up with uh, 
with some of these, you know, pretty much every solid three-year-old not named epicenter who's, uh, who's in this race. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested to see where, uh, where, how he ends up performing and the cotillion looks like another interesting race. I, I think my best cotillion opinion would be bet against secret oath. I think secret oath is going to, this feels like the time at which she could easily be getting a little long in the tooth. And uh, she's, this has been a long, hard campaign. She's run a lot and uh, I don't, I don't love her two Saratoga efforts by any means. So beginning to look a little dicey to me as to uh, whether she can, can end up finishing the job in another, yet another big target, big objective. Um, so I would, I would probably take a swing against there. I, I thought the turf sprint race at, at parks was just really fascinating. And, you know, there have been years where this race had a particularly good horse, but uh, this one is really just a, a good evenly matched group. Same with the gallant Bob that uh, has had some really good horses in it over the years has worked its way all the way up to a grade two. So these are good races and I'm glad they're forcing out the, uh, the pick five, which, um, it's sort of a silly bet for them to, to do a jackpot and a pick five, but Hey, as long as they're paying it out when there's going to be attention on it, I'm fine with it. What races is that pick five? Do you know? Eight, uh, nine through 13. Okay. So it includes the, well, uh, wait, I don't think that's right. Okay. It, the, the, the DRF says nine through 13, but I feel like Chris Griffin, the ubiquitous Twitter, uh, presence that he has and announcer said it is eight through 12. That'd be great. Cause that's all graded stakes. That would be, that would be very, very cool. And that's, those are the five races I cover with Andrew Rosinski on the, on the plus show. If folks are looking for extra, more detailed thoughts on parks. He'll have some free stuff up on the website as well as he always does. Does a very good job for us covering there, but you get all my stuff and you know, we go into a bit more detail and as I'm sure folks are tired of me saying in the money slash plus, if you want to check that out, but it's a great time to join because we're about to, you know, have a bunch of special coverage for Keeneland for as well as Santa Anita. And of course, it's going to take you right through the Breeders' Cup. What, Where will you be playing from this weekend? I will be in the palatial uh, Tamaro Estate in uh, in Houston um, in advance. Of, uh, yeah, I'm going on a – it is neither a palace nor an estate. I can guarantee you of both. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I, yeah, I'll be doing that. We, uh, we're we gearing up for a cruise, a little family cruise the first week of October so making sure we get our sea legs and the best way for me to do it, I think, is to to gamble as much as possible on anything with ranging from two to four legs. There is <laughs> there's a little much, uh, you know, there have been certainly times when Dramamine is required with the with the sports betting and, and, and the horse betting, but never, never so much as when you're literally doing it for Matt C. Nick, appreciate your time. We're going to have more info about this uh, Monmouth at Meadowlands meet. You can read Nick's analysis of Belmont at Aqueduct every day for free in the moneypodcast.com. Check it out. Nick, have a fun, chill weekend, and we'll be talking soon. Sounds great, my friend. Thanks for having me. Today's show also brought to you by our friends at the Kentucky Thoroughbred Development Fund. Purses in Kentucky are powered by the Kentucky Thoroughbred Development Fund, a.k.a. the KTDF. KTDF dollars in purses are only for Kentucky bred horses, so breeding in Kentucky is the best way to maximize profits and return on racing and breeding investments. Churchill Downs Racing and Kentucky Racing Circuit as a whole continue to be on an incredible upward trajectory thanks to the work of the folks at the KTDF. PTF back with you here. 
to talk about four stakes races at Churchill Downs on Saturday. And this is a man, we, he's been working overtime. It's it's the old no good deed goes unpunished around here. Been having so much fun the last few weeks talking California and now Kentucky racing with Scott Shapiro. Scott, what's going on? What's up, Pete? Good to be back. Uh, it's been uh, tough sledding here uh, over the uh, first half of this short September meet, but uh, hopefully we can piece things together in some of these stakes races. Real good card once again. Yeah, that's the plan, man. And you've been giving out great info and uh, definitely finding some winners along the way. Hopefully that's going to be the plan in these races we talk about. We're going to start with race number seven, which is a stake race for three-year-old fillies. It's the Seneca Overnight Stakes. We're going a mile and a 16th on the dirt. We've got 160000 in the pot. Scott, how do you want to light this candle? Well, I think this is one of the more interesting and challenging races of the sequence, but uh, I'm going to ride the hot hand of Phil Bauer with uh, number six, Scratch Cat, who I am a little concerned might have too much work to do because the pace scenario is murky. I could see the inside three horses, Turner, Loose, Valentina Day, and Falconet maybe all being sent, but I could also see it being a little bit less than uh, than honest early on. But if it's honest, I think Scratch Cat is in the best form of her career. Two big efforts since taking the blinkers off. She ran fourth and wasn't embarrassed in the Alabama, which Ness kind of embarrassed everybody in there. But she finished <laughs> well, gone a mile and a quarter, and she just appears to be in the moving in the right direction. And uh, I'm going to make her an A along with Cocktail Moments, who I thought got a real good ride from Junior Alvarado being a little bit up closer to the early pace in that first level allowance event over the off going at Saratoga. She had been a real off the pace runner uh, through the, the other races of first six starts of her career. So I'm six, five in there. And uh, what I think is a pretty intriguing uh, first stake of the day. It is. And I think you hit on the key point about the pace scenario and being a little murky. And I took the opposite view that I was expecting Falconette to really seize the bull by the horns in this spot in a race where I was thinking that Turner Loose coming out of that much longer grass race, um, maybe not going to show as much early initiative. And just looking at recent pace figures from Valentina Day, I think Gaffleon might have an opportunity to get Falconette out there by herself or at least in a, in a favorable position that maybe do the sort of Todd Pletcher grinding routine that we <laughs> might be able to do uh, on or near the lead and take some pegging back. So I was going to play the three, but I definitely see your approach. And I, and I think if Falconet does have company on the front, th those horses come a lot more into focus for me. I, I mean, I take it you can see the type of scenario I'm, I'm talking about. It just wasn't the one you decided was going to happen here. 100%. I would make Falconet a B and could easily make her a third A. I think she's the likeliest of the runners that would be prominent. And I, and like you said, I mean, Turner Loose's speed might be dulled at this point, and Valentina Day might be uh, just a couple O and might not have the class to run with Falconet early. So I have no problem with your pick. I just went with another went another direction. No, well, makes sense to me. Let's move on. Three-year-old Colts uh, in the Harrods Creek Stakes. This time we've got 275000 in the pot. We're going seven furlongs, and this one on paper to me just looked like a match between the forerunner Conagher and the seven Gunite. I ended up going with Conagher as the top pick. Just got horrified by Jack Christopher last time. No Jack Christopher to worry about here. Back at the home base, nice-looking work on display, and I thought might be able to get loose. Gunite was just so good at Saratoga. I was thinking here, though, and I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I was thinking the market's going to make Gunite odds on and maybe we can get some odds against on Conagher. And Gunite, as good as he's been, 
there's just some part of me that's like those are those Saratoga races. He's definitely going to be able to replicate them here in what might not be as favorable of a pace situation. I was tempted to press up Connor, no problem at all with Gun Ida. Just looks so super obvious. How do you separate these two? Can anyone else get involved? I saw it as the same way you did in terms of a match race between Conniger and Gnight. The other horses appear to be in a, in a different class level uh, in, in just about all, in all for all reasons. They're, they're going to be too far off the pace in most of them and just are not as fast as these horses. Conniger should be loose, but my one concern with him is racing without Lasix. Um, the Jerkins, he ran pretty well, but not as good as his best performances. Some of that, I'm sure a lot of it had to do with Jack Christopher breathing down his neck, but I would have liked to have seen him finish a little better. And I know after that, those two big efforts in Kentucky, they purposely went to Iowa where Lasix is legal, you know, legal takes events there. So that leads me to believe that they definitely believe Lasix is, is at least some, some part of what makes this horse as fast and as successful as he's been throughout his three-year-old campaign. Therefore, I did make a night, uh, uh, my top pick and, and kind of a lone A with Conniger a B. I just think he's going to be able to sit just off Conniger. There's no other speeds in here. Sure, if Conniger gets loose and runs back to a couple of those efforts that we saw earlier this year, he, he will beat Gnight. But man, Gnight has been gritty. Gnight has been faster than he's been, and he's proven without Lasix as well as proven over this racetrack. So uncreative as well, Pete. I did have Gnight <laughs> over Conniger, and I do agree with you. I do think Gnight, who's listed at even money, Conniger 6-5, to five, probably will go off in the 4-5 to five or maybe lower range. It's. I'm still really interested to see it. It might not be the most scintillating uh, betting affair of the day, but I'm still, from a sporting point of view, interested to see how it plays out. And you make some really good points about the Lasix. I'm going to let Pace and my idea about that trump everything else in that spot. Let's move to race number nine, three-year-old Phillies in the grade three Dogwood seven furlongs once again. I'm just a big Echo Zulu fan. She really, to me... Uh, in the Kentucky Oaks, while it was not a winning effort, I just thought she showed so much courage and really stuck on well in that race, despite the the scintillating pace that set up so well for, for Secret Oath, ultimately. And that was one of those races where we came out of that, and I just said, I can't wait to bet her on the cutback, and I'm not going to let that I'm not going to let that anything stop me. And I know she's going to be a short price. And it's, again, not my most creative opinion of the weekend. But I'm I'm very interested in how Echo Zulu is going to run in this spot. I will, for verticals, mess around a little bit with number five, Gunning, a horse I'm a little bit interested in. Just looking at pace figures and the type of blend of speed and stamina that she has. I also thought you could make a case that the last race was maybe a little bit better than it looked. Winning the pace battle, losing the war. I thought Gunning would be a big price and one that I was going to stick in underneath in verticals. Echo Zulu, who I'll be all about running first and maybe a little bit second in this spot. How did you see it, Scott? Well, I think it's a fun race. You get Echo Zulu back. You get Wicked Halo kind of – I know she just – beat grade two company, but I would argue this is a better group than the prior S was that she won impressively and just continues to move forward nice and patiently like Steve Asmussen likes. Echo Zulu, the clear one to beat, I picked for second. Um, Just a slight concern about, you know, what happened in the A-court and then not, you know, having been seen since. You never know how these Phillies are going to come back. She's definitely the likeliest winner, but when you take price into account, that's what made me lean on. Number four, Tarabi, who I thought was just workmanlike, Pete, in, uh, in 
the Saratoga restricted Wilton stakes. Uh, I think it was the first race out of the Wilson shoot, right, back on uh, opening week, That's right. maybe even opening day. Um, and she got a really perfect trip, and I would have liked to have seen her kind of put Goddess of Fire and Angitude away a little more because I do think this is a really talented filly. Sharita Bo has managed her really patiently. She ran a couple huge races. In fact, all three of her races as a uh, two-year-old were big. And then uh, was good uh, in the optional claiming race here at Churchill when chasing on the ones and twos for Norm Cassie, who just got the jump on her, was loose on the lead. Um, I just think it, it, this is the spot she's been looking for ever since the uh, Wilton, maybe longer than that. And she has the tactical speed to kind of find her own spot. So if Echo Zulu's loose, she could be sitting second or third off of chasing Fireflies as well. If perhaps it could, they go a little faster, she could sit fourth and be fine. And then I'm with you. I've been a fan of Gunning since I saw her in the paddock on debut. And I, I agree that the Audubon Oaks a little better than looks. And I think it's noteworthy. Kenny McPeak goes to Brian Hernandez Jr. I don't think he was probably too happy with Corey Lannery's ride in the Audubon Oaks when he was, you know, caught up in that early pace duel, like you said, putting away the other speeds. This is a horse that can relax a little more and didn't really need to be caught up in the mix. I'm, I'm guessing that's what Kenny's thinking. So look for Brian Hernandez Jr. to take her to a mid-pack spot. And she's the value in here. I like what you're thinking. You know, if you like Echo Zulu trying to find gunning a spot underneath in the exotics, I'm going to include all four of those in some capacity with Echo Zulu and Tarabi being the main uh, top horses for me and then gunning and Wicked Halo being the uh, next tier. All right, four and one on the A line, and uh, and what number is uh, it? Would it be five and seven on the B line? Five and seven, and again, not all that creative. I think it's important to you know think about ticket structure here, depending on your own opinions. But I do like a price here in the next race, so that'll dictate some of the way I'll structure my tickets. Well, that makes perfect sense, and we'll get to that right now. We've got three year olds once again. The Bourbon Trail, two hundred seventy five k once again, a mile and three sixteenths. Who is this price you like? How are we going to get paid? <laughs> well, getting this one to the wire first will will take some racing luck. But I'm a big fan, and I'm going to you know build my uh, vertical tickets in this race, particularly around number five War Campaign, who is a son of Declaration of War, has been handled patiently by trainer Phil Sims, has really done very little wrong. Now, whether he's good enough to beat a field like this remains to be seen. He's going to need the right race shape. He's going to need to prove he can run without Lasix. But this horse can flat out finish, and I think the mile and three sixteenths will work to his advantage. Where it's always a question, you know, how that out this. Preakness stakes distance in Louisville will uh, will work out for all of these in here. But uh, I also obviously have a major respect for Warrior. Well, maybe not obviously, but if you watched his last race at Saratoga, yeah. I mean, Warrior Johnny was incredible. I don't know where that rendition or version of him came from. But, I mean, if he runs like that, they're not going to beat him. But, again, you know, you got to worry about regression. you got to worry about the lack of Lasix. And the price is not going to be all that favorable 3-1 to one on the morning line. And then you've got St. Tappet and Homebrew down to the inside. I think those are interesting horses that will get the jump on my top pick war campaign. Hopefully they all mix it up a little bit, Pete. Homebrew uh, missed the break last time, but now gets blinkers. St. Tappet tries two turns for the first time. I got respect for those uh, three, the two, three, and four, as well as Gilded Age, who will come from off the pace and has run well over this racetrack. But uh, in terms of wagering in race on the Bourbon Trail, I'm going to build around a price, a number five war campaign, and uh, that would be a good way to finish the stakes action. Yeah, I mean, that, that gives you some interesting options in terms of your ticket writing, for sure, whether you're talking horizontals or verticals. I went with St. Tappet in this spot. 
thought was very impressive in a salty allowance race at Saratoga where I was actually trying to beat him. Me too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Should we see how that worked out? It, just, it was one of those things where I had five horses running within three points of each other, so none of them should have been as short as he was. Or maybe they should have been because he ran really well that day, attacking a fast pace, sticking on well to the wire. And on his absolutely purple blood, he's supposed to like this stretch out in distance. And I like the fact that he's worked well subsequently with Happy Saver, a tough, older horse, battle-proved. And then the other one, for me, you mentioned the four uh, warrior, Warriors Johnny. If that race comes back, this horse wins easily, but was loose on the lead. The barn was absolutely flying at the time. Not that the barn's doing poorly now, but that's this is one of these things where as kind of a figure monkey player, I will definitely use the four as a backup. I'm not losing to a horse that ran that figure in the previous start, but I was going to try to do more around St. Tappet. And I'm really um, intrigued, and I like your war campaign case, and I think I'm going to end up following you in there as well. Um, remember when Warrior Johnny was a long-suffering maiden? Those days are long gone. Man, I mean, he, he got that confidence booster at 1-5 to five and then, um, you know, came back pretty quick in that allowance event and ran okay. That was a real weird race. Uh, the Norm Cassie runner Glacial ran off with the addition of blinkers. So one of those race dynamics where a horse is 10 in front going too fast kind of creates a, a tricky race for riders, and especially with a horse like this that likes to stalk or be on the lead himself. Definitely a good point. His form comes into focus a bit more if you just ignore the first three runs before he was gelded. And then, yeah, obviously took that big leap, took the big leap forward. And, and you make a great point about the, the losing race two back as well. This is worse. I probably should have had that day in Saratoga. And I did not. I'm embarrassed to admit. But, hey, these things happen. Scott, tell folks where they can get more from you. Yes, you can get all my uh, work for Churchill Downs. Uh, in handicapping and whatnot, both at Twin Spires and on the Twin Spires app under the Expert Picks tab. You can just click on those videos about a minute long, give my top three. And then if you're uh, following along in real time, you can find me on the Churchill Down simulcast every day alongside uh, Joe Christofek at the desk. And then it's Caitlin Free, Brandon Stallboard, James Scully joining us in the paddock each day. And then you can follow me on Twitter at ScottShap34. Great stuff, Scott. We're going to be bothering you soon. We'll be covering this fall meet or the September meet, I should say, at Churchill and then hopefully doing more a little bit later in the year. Lots of great two-year-old racing, lots of great racing in general. And it's always a pleasure having you on these airwaves, my friend. Yeah, always good joining you, Pete. Always available to uh, chat Kentucky racing, of course, uh, specifically uh, Churchill, but Keeneland or whatever you want as well. And uh, best of luck this weekend. A lot of good racing. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. We'd like to thank Scott Shapiro one more time. We'll thank Nick Tamaro as well and our sponsors, the KTDF and BetMakers. Most of all, though, want to thank all of you for listening, for making these shows so much fun to do. Reach out with us if you've got questions. In the moneypodcast.com. there's a contact button on there. Hit me up on Twitter, at LoomsBoldly. Put in a quick plug to sign up for our free newsletter. Best way to keep track of all of our content, in the moneypodcast.com slash email. And if you sign up for In The Money Plus, you're going to get all of our special Breeders' Cup coverage that comes along with that. It's a great value, inthemoneypodcast.com slash plus. Lots of extra content, too. Lots of extra stuff happening on the network, uh, really through the plus side, with parks this weekend and some great international coverage as well. Make sure you check it out. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Cotney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos.